0: you're listening to a sermon from our pastor, Brian Payne. We would love to have you worship God with us this Sunday at 1045 in the morning and at six o'clock in the evening as we make, nurture, and equip disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn and throughout the world. Well, let's pray for us and uh, we will get into our passage. Lord, thank you for your mercy and grace to us that we know supremely in the Son of God. And we thank you for the office of deacon. Lord, that is just one bit of evidence of many that you love your church. And we pray as we look at this passage, you would use it to challenge us, to grow us, to mature us, to conform us to Christ, even as you teach, rebuke, correct, and train us in righteousness. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. D.A. Carson, the, the great New Testament scholar, was once asked, do you ever say to a young Christian... Uh, do you want to know what Christianity is like? He thought about that. That began a question that he began to ask, that very question. Do you ever say to a young Christian, do you want to know what Christianity is like? And then the answer, he said, is watch me. He said, Paul often said this, be imitators of me. And then D.A. Carson recounts a story from college related to this, He said there was a guy named Dave Ward who who Carson would bring unbelievers to when Carson, a young Christian at the time, could not answer their questions. And one day he brought a skeptic to Ward, and the student asked, I come from a home that you people call liberal. We don't believe in things like the literal resurrection of Jesus, but my home is a good home. My parents love my sister and me. We worship God. We do good in the community. What do you think you've got that we don't have? And Dave uh, responded, watch me. The student asked what he meant. And Dave said, watch me. I've got an extra bed. Move in with me. You go to your classes. Do whatever you have to do, but watch me. When I interact with people... What I say, what moves me, what I live for, what I want in life, you watch me for the rest of the semester, and then you tell me at the end of it whether or not there's a difference. Well, the student did not take Ward up on his offer, but he he did begin to watch him, and he would meet with him, even though he didn't move into his house with him. And this student, upon watching Dave Ward, was eventually converted to Christ. And today, he is serving as a medical missionary. And then D.A. Carson writes, you who are older... Now, when I think about that, I'm not just thinking about gray hair. You may be a college student, and you're older than high school students. You may be a high school student, and and, uh, you're older than junior high students. You may be a junior high student, and, and you're older than middle school students. You who are older should be looking out for younger people and saying, in effect, come, I'll show you how to pray. Let me show you how to be a Christian, a Christian husband, a Christian father. At a certain point in life, that older mentor should be saying other things such as, let me show you how to die. Watch me. Now, in a very real sense, the call of a deacon is to exemplify the Christian life. Of course, that's not his only call. That's not the only task of a deacon. But in a real sense, their calling is to be able to say God has called all Christians to be persons of character and radical servanthood. But if you want to know what this is, you watch me. That's what a deacon should be able to say, every deacon. Now, the word group, uh, deacon, noun and verb, uh, it's used more than 100 times in the New Testament. That tells you it's a significant word. Almost always referring to some form of ministry or service. Interestingly, that same word is used in Ephesians 4 verse 12 to refer to the work of ministry. God has given the church pastors and teachers to, to prepare God's people for works of deaconing. That's the word. Ministry, service. That's the calling of every member. And so our faith, this is the order, our faith unites us to Jesus And then our love flowing from our faith unites us to each other in service to one another. And yet, at the same time, the New Testament does reveal a group that is specially called to this this service and this ministry, an office of service, the deacon, um, the leader servants, now, interestingly, uh, Paul um, in this passage on the on the deacon, he primarily focuses on character, not on task. He primarily focuses on, on morality, Christian morality, gospel birth morality, not abilities. As a result, the responsibilities of a deacon aren't quite as clear. As the responsibilities of a pastor overseer. And I think there's reason for that. For every church, deacons will have somewhat of different responsibilities. But what is clear in this passage is the expectations for his character, his gospel produced character. Uh, These virtues have little to do with talents and abilities, very little to do with the intellect. These qualities will not show up on resumes, but they show up on God's resume, and that's what's most important. And the first thing we see uh, at the beginning of verse 8 is that the deacon must have a noble character. Look with me in verse 8. Now, he's going to identify nine aspects of this character, this noble character. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. Now I want you to note the word likewise. Paul has just described the overseer. Now who is the overseer? Your your translation reads overseer, and Monty's translation reads bishop. Um, That word is referring to the pastor. There's only two offices in the church, the deacon and the pastor. And so the word elder, the word pastor, The word overseer all refer to the same office, different highlights. Each term uh, emphasizes different aspects of that office. But there's one office of pastor, overseer, and elder. And so in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7, he describes what an overseer should look like. Essentially, he must be noble in his character. He must be above reproach. And then he says here, likewise, and so likewise, the office of the deacon requires the same type of person. What that tells us is the deacon is to be as spiritually mature as the pastor. In some churches, the deacon is minor leagues until you can really hit the ball and then you get promoted to the major leagues. No, the deacon is a crucial calling, it's a crucial office, and the deacon is to be as mature as the pastor, it's just a different calling. And so he says, likewise, the deacon, the deacon. And notice what he says about the deacon here. He says, uh, he must, he must be dignified. This is, this is a non-negotiable. Uh, that word uh, has a, a wide semantic range, honorable, worthy of respect, it's an umbrella term, though, and Paul often gives us umbrella terms at the beginning of these lists. It occurs four times in the New Testament here, and then we we read about the the deacon's wife, who's also to be dignified, uh, dignified in Titus two two. Older men are to be dignified, and then in Philippians four verse eight, Paul says we are to meditate on those things um of of with dignity and, and those things that are dignified. Um, and and with regard to that last point, thinking about these things um can be helped by seeing it embodied with the deacon. And so he must be dignified. Secondly this deacon must not be double-tongued. Now, again, I want you to notice the word must, must be. That's a present tense verb which tells us this This is this describes the man at all times. Uh, this man doesn't go on vacation with regard to his character. Uh, there's no sabbaticals with regard to his character. He must be dignified at all times. He must not be double-tongued. Now, this is the only place... in in the New Testament that that word is used, double tongue. What does it mean? Um, It's a person who isn't saying one thing to this person or or this group and another thing to this person or this group. You can trust this about leadership. Uh, One person or one group has ideas about what should be done, And another person in another group has conflicting ideas about what should be done. That is a a scenario that is often repeated. And it's easy to be tempted to want to say one thing to this person or this group to appease them. And to say another thing to this person and this group to appease them. But in the long run, that doesn't work. That does not work. And so this deacon knows that when decisions are made, when direction is taken, there will be naysayers. But he doesn't compromise because he's not double-tongued. And the reason this is so crucial is that God intends deacons to be problem solvers. That's one of their roles in the church they are often entrusted with private matters in the church. They must not, as a result, be double-tongued. Third, and we'll put these two together because I think Paul intends them to be together, not addicted to wine forth, not, nor greedy for dishonest gain. He's not to be drunk on wine or money. So let's look at this, not addicted to much wine, Well, a man who is addicted to anything, including wine, is under the dominion of something that's not King Jesus. And so whatever he is addicted to is his functional king and his functional savior. That's why a man, a deacon, cannot be addicted to anything, including wine, nor greedy for dishonest gain. In other words, if if you're addicted to anything, Jesus is not your king. Whatever you're addicted to is. And then not greedy for dishonest gain. Historically, deacons have handled the money. It's not always the case in in, in churches, but historically that's been the case. And in Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money. And then he gives us the prescription on how to do that. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The writer of Hebrews gives us the anecdote or the the prescription on how to be free from the love of money. Be content in your God. And so the man who is greedy for, for gain, greedy for dishonest gain, clearly is not content in the living God. Of course, this contentment in God requires the fifth quality. That brings us to verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, he is sound in faith and life. Now, we just read earlier tonight in our scripture reading about the mystery of godliness. And Paul says that centers on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think that's what this is referring to here. Um, Though deacons are not required to teach, and by the way, that is the that's the only difference in qualifications between a pastor and a deacon. They have the same maturity, they have the same Christian character, but a deacon's responsibility isn't necessarily to be able to teach. And yet here he must be able to hold the mystery of the faith. Which means he is sound in his doctrine. He is sound in his theology. When we when we have prospective deacons um, being vetted, they have to answer a a, a theology questionnaire, and, and and I'm telling you, it's extensive, and it takes them uh, a long time to fill that out. And then they go through a process where we ask them questions about their answers to. Uh, these theology questions because we recognize what Paul says here now why if they don't have to be able to teach why do they need to be sound in their doctrine well if they're not with the nature of what they do the church will become just another social service and so because they deal with material and physical needs They must be sound in their theology, which means they must bring the gospel to bear to those needs. And he says he must do it with a clear conscience. Uh, That term is is often used in 1 Timothy. In fact, Paul says the goal of our instruction, 1 Timothy 1.5, is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And so what he means here is that not only is the deacon sound in his faith, he's experienced himself by faith. In other words, the gospel has produced character in the man. But a life sound in faith is just empty words without verse 10. That brings us to the sixth qualification. He must be blameless. Look with me in verse 10. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless, above approach. Now, does that mean you're sinless? No. If that means sinless, then no child of Adam would ever qualify, right? But blameless means he is notorious for his repentance. He keeps a short account with God. He keeps a short account with man. Um, people know him by his repentance. They know him that, that this person. There's nothing uh, that you could grab hold of and 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 bring any kind of disrepute to the church or to his family. And so this man is, is blameless. Uh, but notice this language of testing. Um, Let also be tested first. What does he mean by that? Well, as people are serving, as men are serving, there is an evaluation that is taking place that he may not even realize. And so you don't start serving once you become a deacon. You become a deacon because you've been tested in serving. So it's kind of like an on-the-job evaluation that's taking place. In fact, a survey of that word servant or or service or serve reveals that all Christians are deacons in one sense. Let me give you just a couple of texts. John 12, verse 26, if anyone serves me, let me give you the literal there, if anyone deacons me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant, my deacon, be also. If anyone serves, that is, deacons me, the Father will honor him. Or Matthew 23, verse 11, The greatest among you shall be your deacon, servant. And so all of us have been called to be deacons in one sense. But this is referring to the office. Some, upon testing, should become official deacons. That's a servant who is found to be blameless, in his character, and in his service. That's why we are recognizing Sam tonight. Um, But not only him, his wife. Look with me in verse 11. This is the seventh quality. This man must have a godly wife. Verse 11. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified. Now he's going to give four character qualities for the wife. She must be dignified. That's the same word. It's found in verse 8. Note again, it says, and not slanderers. Wow. So the wife may be privy to some things that other women in the church are not privy to. And, and that can create attitudes in the wife if she is not dignified in her character. Slander clearly was a real issue at the church of Ephesus among the deacons' wives. And so Paul says a deacon's wife cannot be a slanderer. Uh, she cannot be known by her tongue in that way. Or, or the man himself is not qualified. She must be sober-minded. Um, that is, she's temperate. Uh, she's self-controlled. She, she doesn't have a short temper. She's balanced in her judgment. She's free from debilitating excesses. And finally, faithful in all things. What does that mean? Faithful in every relationship. Faithful in every sphere of life. Paul is simply telling Timothy that the deacon must have a wife who has the same dignity in his, in her character that the husband has. Uh, her character must match his own. And in keeping with the topic of family, that brings us to the eighth virtue here. Um, he must be sexually pure. Look with me in verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. Now, I don't think this is referring to marital status as much as marital faithfulness. The assumption being most men are going to be married. That's the ideal situation in leadership because you're tested in marriage. Um, but this is referring to his character. Uh, deacons are lay leaders and they are to be chief among those who model God's design for marriage and family. Uh, just look in our culture. Uh, one of our biggest problems in our culture is the re um, the redefinition of marriage, the marginalization of marriage. Fewer and fewer people are getting married. Fewer and fewer people are staying married. People are living together. Uh, there's more and more single-parent homes. That's one of the biggest issues in our culture. And, and so w- the church and the world should be able to look at a deacon and say, that is what... A marriage, that's what a home should look like. Incidentally, and I must say this because this is a rampant issue, if you watch porn, you are not a one-woman man. That's just the reality. You are not qualified to be a deacon or a pastor if you watch porn. I used to tell these boy students, these guys would spend thousands and thousands of dollars to go to school to be trained for the ministry. And I, say, I would say to them, how tragic it is that many of you are disqualified for the thing you are training for. And so this man is a one-woman man. And that means he's not a flirt. He does not watch pornography. We ask those questions. We absolutely ask those questions for any man who aspires to be a deacon here. We look him in his eyes and we make him look us in our eyes. Notice as well, manager. He's a manager. Uh, Verse 12, um, he manages his children and his household well. Um, This means that his children obey him. This means that his children submit to his leadership. Um, This means that he's not passive when it comes to parenting. He's not disinterested. He he doesn't leave the child rearing to the wife, nor does he depend on the church to teach his children. He's the primary teacher of his children. In a very real sense, as crucial as corporate worship is, church ministry to this man is kind of a multivitamin to what he already does in his home with his, his family. And so this deacon has a noble character. And second and finally, uh, the deacon, as a result, has a noble reward. This is a promise to, uh, to you, Sam. Verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is such an important thing that it's recognized as being rewarded. Isn't that remarkable? That the calling of the deacon is so important that that there's a reward attached to it. Those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves. Now that word standing, it's only found here in the New Testament. So we have to do a little interpretation here. Is this standing before men? Are standing before God. Well, you know people are fickle. You'll learn that, Sam, if you haven't already learned it. You'll learn it in church leadership. And I don't know if you can guarantee any deacon will have a good standing before every man. Especially when you have to lead. So what does he mean? Well, I remember Jesus' words, uh, "...the last shall be first." I think Paul is echoing that truth. Uh, In other words, what deacons often do are behind the scenes and below the radar. It's in a very real sense a much more thankless office than the pastor's office. The pastor's on the platform. He He gets patted on the back. Now, he gets kicked sometimes too, but he, he gets patted on the back, he gets commended for his ministry, and deacons are serving below the radar, oftentimes doing things that no one recognizes or realizes they are doing. And Paul leaves us here with this final promise, hey, there's one who notices, and that's the only one that matters. In other words, those who serve behind the scenes as deacons will be rewarded with a good standing with God. They'll hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I know no one has noticed what you've done, how you have served, and how you have sacrificed and denied yourself for the sake of the church for year after year, decade after decade. But I notice, and this is enough for the godly deacon. That commendation is enough for the man who has a dignified character. And notice, they will have great confidence in the faith that is in Christ. That is great assurance, great courage, boldness, and freedom comes with this kind of life of self-denial where you receive very few pats on the back, and yet God's commendation is enough. Well, let's close this out. From this passage... Uh, 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13, it's obvious that we should never recognize anyone as a deacon in order to get him involved. I hate to say this, but in my church growing up, I heard that. Maybe we can get him involved if we make him a deacon. If I asked you to raise your hand, if you've ever heard that, I'm afraid there's too many hands that would that would be raised. That's not here. The real issue here is tested and proven spiritual maturity. That's what we recognize with you. That's why you're here tonight. The office of deacon is not an honorary position bestowed on men who've been in the church a long time. I saw that as well. Nor is it a board position filled with men um, who are highly esteemed or highly successful career persons in the community. I've seen that. It's only for those who can say with integrity, look at me, imitate me, follow me. And in this way, it's not unlike the office of the overseer. Both offices, overseer, pastor, and deacon involves giving oneself to the service of others. And so here's the distinction. Overseers, pastors, they serve by leading. Deacons lead by serving. That is the distinction. And and what's notable is that both words... The word that's used in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, the episkopos, the, the overseer, and deacon are both applied to Jesus in the New Testament. Um, and Jesus himself applied the word deacon to himself. So, for instance, in Mark uh, chapter 10, the Son of Man did not come to be served, to be deaconed, but to deacon, to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's the paradigm for the deacon. He lays down his life for others in service. Luke 22, verse 27, I am among you as the one who deacons. There's that I am statement. I am, in other words, I am God in the flesh, revealing to you something of the nature of God who serves, who deacons you. And then in 1 Peter 2, 25, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned, get this, to the shepherd, that is pastor, and overseer of your souls. And these two offices, the overseer, pastor, and the deacon, are the evidence of and the extension of Jesus' deacon and overseer ministry in the church. That's what makes this office so critical. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we wanna start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.